0: L.A.S. Studios. This is How to LA. I'm Brian De Los Santos. Last year, just before the holidays, LA Mayor Karen Bass pledged to fast track new affordable housing across the city. She signed something called Executive Directive 1, or ED1, to dramatically speed up the approval process for projects and get them greenlit within 60 days. It was received as a game changer. More applications were going in, The mayor's office says it led to an increase of 85 percent. But then six months later, her administration tweaked the rules, excluding neighborhoods with single family homes from the order. Three quarters of LA is zoned for single family homes. So affordable housing advocates say this change really hampers the city's ability to build critically needed buildings for people to live. So what's going on here? We've got LA's housing reporter David Wagner here to explain this for us. Hey, David. Hey Brian. Okay, so just to set the stage here, how badly does LA need more affordable housing?
1: really badly. The city's planning department has said that over the last decade or so, LA has lost more than 100,000 affordable homes. And during that same period of time, the city only built around 13,000 new affordable homes. So, you know, LA is just hemorrhaging affordable housing right now. Um, And this is not going to be surprising to anybody who has looked for a decent place to rent lately. Um, You know, part of this is just due to rents rising faster than wages across the city. Um, In some other cases, though, we're seeing buildings constructed in the 80s and 90s losing their affordable housing covenants. And, you know, in some cases, when these rent restrictions expire, tenants end up facing mass eviction. So it all means that L.A. needs a lot more affordable housing and fast.
0: Before Mayor Bass signed ED1, how long was it taking on average to get an affordable housing project approved and permitted and ready to go?
1: You know, that really depended on the type of project, the scale, where it was being built. But, you know, in short, to answer that, it was taking a long time. The city's planning department was taking on average more than six months just to approve applications for new affordable housing projects. And ED1 came in and directed the department to cut that down to 60 days or less. So, a, a big change in time time to process these applications. But that's just one part of the process. And in reality, you know, projects were taking a lot longer to get built, you know, much, much longer. When Bass held a press conference a year ago to sign ED1, she chose this dusty construction site in Boyle Heights for all of us reporters to, to gather at for the announcement. She chose that site because a new affordable housing project there had taken 16 years to break ground. I mean, 16 years. Um Bass at the time said that ED-1 was going to prevent these kinds of delays.
0: Yeah. And so where was Bass saying that the housing would
1: go? And, you know, at the time she said ED-1 was meant to fast track new affordable housing all across L.A. This wasn't just about building new housing in poor areas. It wasn't about just building it in rich areas. You know, this wasn't all going to go in South L.A. or all in the Valley. It was supposed to apply across the board. Here's what Bass said during that press conference.
0: Affordable housing projects are only being built in certain locations and not others. And this is at a time when we need housing all across Los Angeles.
1: So a number of developers took her up on that. They proposed big new affordable housing projects in wealthier, more exclusive parts of the city. You know, parts of L.A. that have historically fought new housing, particularly new low-income housing.
0: So that brings us to the changes in ED-1. How exactly have the rules changed?
1: Right. So six months after Bass held this big ED-1 press conference, she pretty quietly made this big change to ED-1. She said projects in areas with single-family homes would no longer be eligible for ED-1. And, you know, keep in mind, 74% of L.A.'s residential land is zoned for single-family homes. So in effect, this change meant that the vast majority of the city is now off-limits to developers who want to fast-track affordable housing through ED-1. You know, of course, these developers could still go through the regular process, uh, which, as we know, can take many years. But those projects are just no longer able to be fast-tracked under the mayor's directive.
0: And really quickly, can you kind of explain uh, what is a single-family home in L.A.?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you just think about your typical L.A. neighborhood of, you know, row after row of detached, you know, one to two story homes where— just one family, maybe even just one person is living in there. You know, you've got the driveway, you've got the yard. This is what we're talking about with single-family homes. Vast swaths of the city are zoned so that you can only build single-family homes on these lots. Um, Now, you know, it gets a little tricky. State law has made it so that you can build accessory dwelling units. You know, you can put in a back house. You can um, create duplexes on these. So it's no longer quite true that you can only build single-family homes on these lots. But What single-family zoning means is that you can't build large apartment buildings. What has
0: been the direct impact of the change in ED1?
1: The impacts are still being worked out. On the one hand, it means developers are probably now a lot less likely to even try to build affordable housing in single-family neighborhoods. On the other hand, you have all these developers that already submitted applications under ED1, and now it's unclear what's going to happen to their projects. The city has told these developers, uh, developers behind nine pending projects, that they will no longer be eligible for ED1. And those projects represent more than 1,400 new low income apartments.
0: So those apartments are just kind of dead now?
1: You know, not necessarily. Um, they certainly won't be built anytime soon. They they will not be fast tracked. Some developers have simply withdrawn their applications. You know, they're just not interested, or just not financially able to pursue these projects anymore without the benefit of ED one. Other developers are trying to appeal the 81 denials. They're trying to get the city to overturn this decision. Um, Land use attorney Dave Rand, uh, one person I interviewed for this story, he's helping developers with those appeals. Here's what he thinks will happen if those appeals do not succeed. I think the end result will be a, a lot of lost housing units that could have been built in these areas. Some people may celebrate that and think that's a fantastic thing. I think it's the loss of a good number of much needed affordable homes. And these developers obviously feel like this has been a bit of a bait and switch. The city promised them fast tracking and then took it away after they applied. And the interesting thing is um, housing officials with the state of California, uh, they kind of agree with those developers. They've weighed in. They've sent letters to the city urging them to process these applications based on those original rules.
0: So do we know why the rules were changed and what has the administration said about it?
1: Yeah, I reached out to the mayor's office to ask this very question. The answer I got was frankly kind of vague. Uh, Bass would not agree to an interview on this story, so I didn't get to ask her this in depth. Uh, but a spokesperson said, quote, the mayor believes that any policy implemented should be evaluated to ensure there are no unintended consequences on communities, especially the very ones we are trying to help. So that's the, that's about the extent of what I got from the mayor's office. Um I also put this question to other people I interviewed, you know, why did they think the mayor changed course? Uh, I asked tenant advocates and housing policy experts about this. They all said, look, it's it's no secret that whenever you propose this kind of new housing in wealthier single-family neighborhoods, homeowners tend to fight back. They contact their council member. They contact the mayor's office. They mobilize to defeat these kinds of projects. And some people told me, you know, it's not hard to see what happened here. The NIMBYs got their way.
0: Now we should say that there has been some success with ED-1 outside of single-family neighborhoods, right?
1: Absolutely. You know, even critics of this change say that ED-1 has been successful in a lot of ways. The city has already approved applications for almost 60 projects aiming to build more than 4,600 new homes. That is a lot of new affordable housing. Um, It's just that this is all happening in parts of the city that already have a lot of development, already have a lot of big apartment buildings. Single-family neighborhoods are just not playing a role in that increase.
0: But what happens if the city just doesn't build new housing in these areas? A lot of people want these neighborhoods to stay the way they are.
1: Actually, many people would argue that state law requires L.A. to put a lot of new affordable housing in single-family neighborhoods. And, And here's why. Um, Every eight years, state law requires cities to plan for new housing. And in this cycle, L.A. has a big goal. They have to plan for almost half a million new housing units. And those can't just all be expensive luxury apartments. 185,000 of those new homes must be affordable to low-income households. And then state law even goes a step further. It says not only do you have to plan for all this new low-income housing— You have to do it in a way that furthers fair housing. What that means is that you can't just plop all this low-income housing down in low-income neighborhoods. Uh, That's what the city has been doing for far too long, and the result has been segregation. We have rich parts of the city with million-dollar homes and nice amenities, and then we have poor parts of the city where tenants cram into apartments and struggle to keep up with rising rents. That's why state law requires LA to put a lot of new affordable housing in high resource areas. We're talking about neighborhoods with good schools, nice parks, good transit, lots of job opportunities. The city is supposed to break down those long standing patterns of segregation by citing new low income housing in these areas. And the thing is, in many cases, those high resource areas are single family neighborhoods. Here's what UCLA urban planning professor Pavo Mankanen says about taking those areas out of ED1. I
0: mean, once you take them off the table, it's, it's really hard to live up to the fair housing mandate. We'll be back after this break to learn where the projects are going up and where they're not.
1: Support for L.A.S. comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los
0: Angeles Theater Center, presenting the world premiere of Ghost Waltz by Oliver Mayer, a
1: bold original recovery of Juventino Rosas, one of Mexico's most significant composers. Follow Rosas from his father's early death to his friendship with ragtime genius Scott Joplin, now on stage through June 2nd. Tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org.
0: And we're back with LA's housing reporter, David Wagner. All right, David, where in LA are the projects moving through and where have they been stalled because of this change to ED1?
1: So there are a lot of projects moving forward in South L.A. Tenant advocates there told me that tenants in old rent-controlled buildings are even seeing some of their homes demolished to make way for these new ED1 projects. And they say, yes, you know, South L.A. does need a lot of new affordable housing, but it shouldn't have to absorb so much of this new development pressure while these whiter, wealthier communities are exempt from ED1. Now, there is one ED-1 project moving forward in a single-family area. It's on Ethel Avenue in Sherman Oaks. The council member for that district, Nithya Raman, supported the developer appealing the city's ED-1 denial— But all these other 81 projects in single-family neighborhoods are now kind of in limbo. And those projects are all over the San Fernando Valley. They're in places like Reseda, Winnetka, and Canoga Park.
0: You reported on a project in Winnetka. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Right. So there's this boarded-up former private elementary school on a main thoroughfare in Winnetka. It's, you know, I went to visit the building. It's covered in graffiti. It's surrounded by padlocked gates. It's just kind of sitting there, uh, you know, derelict next to a gas station. And one developer wants to build 360 new low-income apartments on this site. But I went out there to meet Winneka Neighborhood Council President Moran Kalagian, who told me the community is against that project. It needs to be
0: away from residential. It is not going to block and give difficulty for the presence of the businesses. It's not going to impact the value of the houses and the properties. And it's going to be away from a school as well.
1: Which kind of leads to the question, you know, okay, if low-income housing cannot be built in your single-family homes, businesses, or schools, where can it be built? And in response to that question, Collegian told me the right place to build was a couple neighborhoods over in Encino.
0: So what does the Bass administration say to those who want to build in single-family home neighborhoods right now? And are there any plans to go back to the original directive?
1: So the mayor's stance right now is, you know, these projects can still move forward. They just will not be fast-tracked. So if developers want to, they can still propose these projects in single-family neighborhoods and go through years of environmental review, public hearings with the planning commission, you know, city council votes. The truth is many developers are just not going to do that, especially not to build apartments with low rent. Um, They only wanted to build this kind of housing because they got so many benefits from ED1. But no, for now, it does not look like the city is going to back down on this change.
0: And in the end, developers are businesses and they want to make money. And if they don't have some incentive that was ED1 to back them up, then they're not going to do it,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the surprising things that I heard in this reporting was that There are some developers out there who have specifically changed their projects from market rate, more expensive housing, to 100% affordable housing, specifically because of ED1. They said, look, we can afford to lower the rent. We can afford to make this low-income housing. If the mayor is going to make good on this word to make things uh, to, to approve our projects faster, to guarantee that we can get shovels in the ground in a certain amount of time, to guarantee that we're not going to go through contentious public hearings where, you know, homeowners might be able to tank the project. That's so valuable to us as developers that we can even come down on the rent in our projects um, without that kind of benefit. Uh, many of these developers may end up reverting back to that more expensive kind of market rate housing.
0: Well, So what role do city council members play in this situation of ED1?
1: Well, right now they're playing a big role. And ED1 was kind of supposed to take individual council members out of the equation. It was supposed to make it so that projects move forward without one elected official being able to kill them. But after these projects in single-family home areas were denied under ED1, the developers, they filed these appeals, and those appeals went back to the city council for a vote. So, you know, that's when we start to see this split amongst council members on this issue. As we discussed, Nithya Raman has actually supported an ED1 project in her district— She told me she thinks L.A. needs to follow the law here and needs to communicate to developers, basically, that it welcomes this kind of uh, housing construction all over the city. Rahman and her staff, though, have faced really pretty harsh pushback for this decision. Protesters have even called them terrorists Mm -hmm. um, in certain instances. Um, Another council member, Bob Blumenfield, also representing parts of the Valley, has taken the opposite approach. He has voted against ED-1 projects moving forward in his district. He told me that, you know, ED-1 basically takes public input out of the process. And he said, you know, that's fine in parts of the city that already have large apartment buildings. But he says at this point, it's wrong to take that kind of community input away from single family homeowners.
0: All right. So what's next here?
1: So, the city could face a lawsuit over this. Clearly, the state's housing department thinks LA is in the wrong for denying these projects under ED1. And the leader of one pro housing group called the Yimby Law told me that they are soon going to file a lawsuit against the city over these denials. So, even if this housing is not going to get built anytime soon, we definitely have not heard the end of this issue.
0: All right, David, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. That's LA's housing reporter, David Wagner. We'll have more from his reporting in our show notes. And we'll be back here tomorrow. We'll tell you how to hack Grand Central Market this holiday season and fill you in on its history. Already, y'all, see you here tomorrow. This episode was produced by Victoria Alejandro. The rest of the How to LA team is Erica Washington, Evan Jacoby, Megan Botell, Monica Bushman, and our intern, Tony Morales. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes L.A. a better place to live. The L.A. Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism.